0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Book Leads, Impactful Books for Life and Leadership. I'm your series host and leadership performance coach, John Jermillo. This podcast series is about getting to the books that have influenced people in my network, colleagues, new and old, those that I've had in my my life and work for a while, and those that I've just met, uh, especially during the pandemic as the popularity of the podcast has grown. So in this particular series, I'll be interviewing leads on great books uh, that have influenced their life, their leadership, their work, their business, how they operate and intersect across all those worlds. I want to know which books have contributed the most to who they are as a person, business person, whatever it may be. So in the series, I cover three types of books or categories of books. The first being a book that they're sharing with me that I haven't read. Uh, A second category where we both cover a book that we've both read. So we're coming at it, having read it and known the lessons, sharing insights from the book. And the third is when I speak to authors and publishers about the book that they're putting out. That they want to share the message for with this audience so in this particular episode my guest today is steve morris and steve had a really cool and interesting start to his career designing multi-million dollar racing yachts and building and coaching high-performing teams to help his clients win the world's most demanding yacht races he has run and grown a small business and then transitioned his career to become a certified pmp program manager managing million dollar budgets and helping the u.s navy launch ships into its fleet Eight years ago, he started his own business with the mission to help business owners build better lives through building better businesses, getting unstuck, fueling growth, achieving more profit, and having more fun with their crew. Steve's passion is, building his, is bringing his expertise, experience, and lessons learned with world leading high performance teams to help his clients elevate their businesses, becoming more cohesive, healthy, and organized so they can attain the results and success they want. In addition to navigating the voyage to success with his clients, Steve is an avid learner and practitioner of techniques that elevate his mindset and physical fitness, such as breathwork, hiking, yoga, and meditation, as he journeys on the path to the Centurion Olympics. He and his partner, Kathy, are also building a permaculture food forest on their farm in Hygiene, Colorado, and Steve and his team had reached out when they heard about my series, What I Was Doing. <clears throat> excuse me, trying to achieve with this series, we got to learning about each other's work, what we're all about, what we want to bring to the everyday, to our clients, to people that we work with. Um, and I just figured it was an insightful conversation to sit down with Steve, just like all my other guests, to learn from him, his background, his experience, his clients, everything um, that just has to do with everything he's bringing to the world, as well as the book that he wants to share with us. So Steve, thank you for joining
1: me. Thanks for having me, John. I'm excited to be here. And thanks for that wonderful introduction.
0: Steve, so I mentioned, obviously, I went through the bio. Um, So many questions that I want to ask. It covers a lot. But now, who are you today? Meaning, what are the specifics of the bio? What is it that you're carrying out with and for your clients on a regular basis?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question, John. So if I look back over my career, right, there's been... A lot of times and and things that I've been involved in where we've been working to achieve great things, sometimes we've been successful and sometimes we haven't made it, right? And so it's really sort of fueled this deep passion in me, particularly about bringing groups of people together to go after lofty goals. And I find it so interesting because... You know, I started my career um, in professional sailing, but then also as an engineer, right? So I've sort of been this sort of very, um, you know, technically minded, sort of more introverted type, but at the same time, like my huge lesson that I've learned over a period of time is that it's all about people. And if we, it doesn't matter, you know, all of the technology and the money that we have, if we can't get a group of people together um, as a cohesive team, then it's all lost, right? And I didn't think, you know, at least as I I go back to the beginning of my career, like, no one ever taught us how to do that, right? (laughs) Um, Went to engineering school, I learned how to design stuff. So, uh, that it holds together and achieves its goals, but no one ever gave us classes in how to make a really great team function together. Um, and so that's really been driving a huge passion of mine. And that's what I work on with my, my clients now.
0: So is it Steve one-on-one work? Is it presentations, talks? I'm assuming obviously, uh, group work, but, um, also one-on-one work with leaders to kind of help, uh, them in their mindset on how to build a great team. What does that look like?
1: Yeah, so um, when I work with my clients, I'm working with usually a business owner, business founder, business leader, and their leadership team. So typically, I'm in a room with a group of you know five, six, seven people, and th- there's a process, there's a there's a journey that we go on together, <clears throat> and so in coming together with the ultimate aim of, hey, we've got a vision for the business. This is where we're trying to get to. And based on what I've just talked about, like we've got to get the team together to help us get to that vision. Um, it starts off with putting some tools in place with that leadership team that will then facilitate them coming together as that high-performing team. Um, so it is, is working it with a group and it's going on a journey towards an ultimate uh, way of being together as a team.
0: And Steve, I always ask, once I kind of get a sense for what my guest is doing these days with their clients or with their work, I'm always curious where their career started. So those first couple steps into their career, whether it was into education or apprenticeship, whatever it may have been, whether influenced by family, you know, happenstance, what did those first couple steps into your career look like and why? Um, and then if you could just walk us through your career up until now, just as an overview, just to get to understand and know who you are, where you've been and what you've seen.
1: Mm. I had a really cool and interesting start to my career. I, I was so fortunate and, and so very happy. My first job out of college was on a professional sailing team. So, I grew up in New Zealand. This is where this accent comes from. <laughs> and uh, in the late 1980s, uh, which was when I was coming out of college, you know, New Zealand was really, um, you know, it, sailing had been a, a great part of the sort of culture in, in New Zealand, you know, from a sporting perspective. And, but the Americas Cup uh, coming down to Australia in the mid 1980s really sort of ignited this industry in New Zealand um, that's been going essentially for like the last 40 years really in in terms of turning out world leading uh, sailing teams. So I was really fortunate to my first job out of college I'm on one of these teams and helping to get a boat and a team ready to go sail around the world in a round the world yacht race. Um, So really sort of learned from a, a very um, early stage in my career like just what it's like right and mean all the way from getting up you know and and being at a gym at six o'clock in the morning and we're lifting the you know tons of iron off the floor to to get strong right to to get fit enough to be able to go out there and sail but then right really you know what does it take what's it like to be able to gel together as a team um from that experience i got to meet the boat's designers uh, who were in Annapolis, Maryland. So I got to come up to the States and, and work there. And I was designed sailboats for many years after that. And so now I'm in this environment where we're on these, you know, large sort of multi-disciplinary teams. Um, I was working from the design side, but at the same time, like having to take research and knowledge and engineering and then Pull that into a design, and then go out and sail. And being part of the sailing team there, of, of being with Olympic class sailors—you know, the top flight uh, sailors in the world—and and getting their feedback and interacting with them, having to pull all of this together um, as a team. So I did that for for many years, and, and got to work on some incredible teams. Got to really feel. What it was like, you know, when we were on a team where people had each other's backs, uh, where we were cohesive and heading, you know, on the same page, uh, heading for a same goal. But also, unfortunately, or or maybe it's fortunate, (laughs) I, I got to experience what it was like to be on some teams that didn't make it. And really that you know, fuel this sort of deep passion and curiosity in me about, like, why is this team really great? And why is this team messed up? Like, what's going on here? I didn't have the tools at the time to understand that. Uh, But it sort of set me off on this path, really, over the last 20 years of of figuring that out. Um, So, at the same time as I was designing these sailboats, I was also um, you know, working in a yacht design business and rising to become a leader in that business uh, and really sort of trying to understand and figure out all those dynamics about how do we run a successful business, how do we set goals, how do we achieve those goals. And ultimately, looking back now from sort of the knowledge that I have now, I realized that you know, I didn't really have the tools that we needed to be able to um, have that business Uh, be as successful as it needed to be over the long term. So that was another sort of driving passion and motivator in me. So from the op design world, I uh, at a stage I sort of really realized, like, I need to figure out this stuff about teams. I don't really have the ability of the tools within the world I was in. So I made a very difficult decision. I um, left the yacht design business, went into government contracting in Washington, D.C. <laughs> That's where I became a you know, certified program manager and learned how to manage a bunch of large groups of people, multi-million dollar budgets. Uh, it was a very good learning process for me, but ultimately I sort of got to the point there where I'm like, mm, I'm not sure my passion is in this work. So I wanted to get back to you know working with, Smaller leadership teams in a more entrepreneurial world. Uh, so that really sort of fueled uh, the next stage of my career, which is to start working with leadership teams and ultimately becoming a certified EOS implementer, bringing the entrepreneurial operating system to leadership teams and helping them come together as a cohesive team to you know enable successful businesses.
0: Steve, how did you come across EOS? Can you tell us a little more about that part of of your your current path?
1: Yeah, so I was um, working in a lot of different areas in terms of (laughs) engaging with uh, creative teams from businesses and leadership teams. Um, And then a few years ago, um, somebody handed me a copy of this book called Traction, uh, written by Gino Wickman. That was the first book he wrote. And... It really kind of um, struck me at the right point in the work that I was doing because I was engaging with leadership teams of businesses, you know, understanding what their what their problems, their challenges, their issues were, helping coach them through that. Um, but EOS really sort of struck home to me because it's a complete holistic system, and I was seeing some things in the work that I was doing where I was not addressing certain aspects of this leadership team's dynamic. And EOS gave me those tools. Um, so I was very enthusiastic and happy about that. And and you know, EOS is this huge worldwide community as well. Um, Steve, can you there. give
0: some examples of of those gaps that you said were existing that EOS filled? Just a few, just to kind of give an idea of what was missing and, and what EOS could fill, I guess. That just paints a, a more thorough picture of EO, eOS if we get some of those examples that um, yeah, you you came across EOS and realized um, how much it completed the leadership or entrepreneurial organizational uh, picture.
1: Yeah. So the big thing in in um, EOS and what I, I think I was missing in some of my earlier work, you know in working with a team around their sort of their strategic plan, their vision, right where do they want to get to. EOS has three central components to it. And one of the things that I think I was missing is this traction piece, right? The book is called Traction. And it's about actually bringing the vision down to the ground and executing on that vision. And this takes me all the way back to the beginning of my career too. It was was a very sort of um, eye-opening and useful thing for me to sort of see like, aha, you know, we can talk about strategic plans all day long right but what's actually happening you know this month this week today that brings that you know is taking meaningful steps to like bring that vision to reality and i didn't have tools for really sort of focusing on that um the third piece, the third component about EOS is, is the, the vision component, getting that strategic plan in place. Is the traction component of like, what are we actually doing today? And the third piece is, once again, sort of coming back to a real passion of mine is healthy, being a healthy team, really working together to be cohesive, to have each other's backs. And there's a lot of different components that I sort of had been doing in my earlier work, but EOS really kind of pulls it together into a holistic um, framework where all of the pieces are supporting each other. And I love that.
0: And Steve, taking you back, even before you started, what did you, I'm assuming it was some kind of engineer, but what did you study in school and then why was it that you wanted to study that? What were your influences that led into your studies in college?
1: Mm. So I did mechanical engineering uh, at, at university and I think, you know, it's just who I am. Uh, I I was one of those kids that used to, you know, get things and and just start, you know, taking stuff apart to see how it worked. (laughs) And, um, you know, much to the chagrin of my parents, probably not everything ever went back together again uh, with, with all of the pieces intact. But I was just, I just had that curiosity about how do things work and I love building things and, um I think was very lucky to be able to, to take that into, you know, studying that at college and then really being able to parlay that into a fascinating career. I was very lucky.
0: And then how did you end up right out of college working on or in the yacht world? How did you, you mentioned racing is big in New Zealand. Is it, was it, just that kind of passion where maybe a lot of mechanical engineers were trying to get into that field? But, Or what was your connection? What was the kind of networking you did? Or how did you find your way into that field?
1: Um, I was in the right place at the right time. Uh, as I sort of alluded to at the very beginning, like, so um, there are some amazing events that happened in the world during the sailing world in the 1980s. And um, to go all the way back, there's this thing called the America's Cup. And the America's Cup is the um, sp- the oldest sporting trophy that's still being competed in the world. It started in 1852. And the US has held the America's Cup, um, you know, held it from 1852 all the way through to um, this amazing thing that happened in 1983, <laughs> which is Australia challenged M- America for the America's Cup and won. This is the first time another nation had actually successfully come and challenged for the Cup and brought the competition down to Australia. It was, it was a major um, event in the sailing world to finally sort of get the U.S.'s grip off the Cup. What it meant for me personally was with the America's Cup in Australia, that meant New Zealand now got into the America's Cup as well that then um, ignited this need for research and an industry of engineers, builders, um, to be able to to fuel that. So I was very lucky, I got to do research. I did a master's degree in aerodynamics, the uh, flow around um, the sails of a boat um and so with that knowledge then when this other sailing team was getting ready to sail around the world they they needed somebody with some expertise in engineering coupled with sailing to come be a part of the team so it's Is a it whole any- long sequence of events but i was so lucky
0: <laughs> yeah it sounds amazing to have uh to have grown up in that time where i can imagine yeah australia takes the cup now you know it's like bring something like that home and then it just fires up the, the, the entire region. Um, Is it an annual
1: cup, Steve? Uh, So the America's cup is, it's an interesting competition. Um, Whoever has the cup, whoever wins the cup then gets to dictate the um, rules of who gets to come challenge for it and the timing. So typically it's around actually every about sort of four years or so. Um, and so the the way it sort of works is there's a bunch of people challenge you know put in a challenge for the cup they all go and uh, race together and figure out who's the strongest challenger and then the challenger and the defender of the cup race together to see who um, prevails in that competition so it's a very sort of different setup from a lot of other um, international sporting events
0: so have you ever have you ever sailed around the world
1: i have not um i've you know done quite a bit of sort of international um, ocean sailing but never ended up sailing around the world um one of the things that i've discovered about myself so i was working on this boat and doing a lot of work around the sort of navigation and the performance um, measurement for the boat and at one stage um, you know, i was a candidate to be a navigator to actually sail around the world to navigate the boat around the world but um we did this uh trial sail from new zealand across to australia um, around the top of new zealand you've got the tasman sea and the pacific ocean meet it's rough there so i'm down below in the nav station in the boat trying to read the charts and figure out where we're going and i started not feeling so good <laughs> <laughs> I got seasick and yeah, I was, you know, I was like out for the count for a couple of days. It was, it was not good. But, you know, we talk about this a lot in the work I do now. You have to have right people in the right seats to make a really great team. And a right seat is somebody who's got the talent, skills, and the capability to do their job. And the stomach. And the stomach, right? <laughs> and I, so if my stomach's not up to the, job and I don't have the capability, like I'm useless, right? And so, you know, for the good of the team, um you know, they needed to have somebody in that role that was the right seat, you know, had the capability to be down below navigating no matter what's going on um, in the world around. So, you know, I, I didn't get to do that. But the fortunate thing was um, to come here to the States and um, to design boats and so yeah, having an amazing career from that. So it's it's just cliche,
0: a- but everything yeah. happens for a reason.
1: Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: So Steve, having gone through your career, well, from start to finish, started now and then went back. Um, and then uh, talking about how you were younger, what your your proclivities were, what you were drawn to. Does it make sense that this is what you're doing? If you think about how you were as a child, the way you thought as a child, in some way, shape, or form, reconciling that—that that what you do now—it makes sense because of how you were as a child. That curiosity, breaking things down, seeing how things work. Can you can you speak to that? Can you reconcile that?
1: Yes. I can, I th- I think it's it's through the thread of sort of following maybe sort of, you know, the beginning aspect of that is that curiosity about how things work, that it was sort of manifested initially, you know, in, in the engineering and mechanical and sort of the physical world. But um, obviously there was sort of something in there that seeing it's ultimately about sort of relationships and about people, um, I think that's probably the, the transition, but still having that same curiosity about, you know, why is this team really great and why is this one dysfunctional? Right. And to be able to then lean in and sort of um I think the some journey that I've gone on really from sort of being sort of more technically oriented to sort of into this world of feelings.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um and it, was,
0: it was probably the last thing you expected as an engineering student.
1: Yeah, yeah, because I don't think the word, word feelings ever came up in engineering school. <laughs> what the hell are feelings? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But you think? do you think it's because of the field that you went went into? I mean, you're thinking mechanical engineering. I don't know what you're thinking at the time that you're studying it. If you had an idea that you wanted to go into the racing, the boat racing uh, field or industry, um, but do you think it had to do that? You happened to end up there. You saw what was on the line. You saw the connection between the teammates. You saw the stakes of going around the world of safety of performance. Do you think it's, do you think it's because you went into that field that you're doing what you're doing now, because you had that firsthand look at what the the team was doing. So then you kind of just went down that path as opposed to something else in the mechanical engineering field that you could have gone into?
1: Yeah, no, 100%. I think these really early sort of formative experiences, I mean, that that first sailing team that I'm on, you know, they're just having a sort of very visceral experience of, of people on that team, like who who made it, right? And in terms of who was a really sort of core person in the team and then who didn't make it, right? and you know, there was some, the, the, the skipper of, of the boat and um, the number two, they ended up, um, you know, having some conflict, right? And, you know, the number two person ended up exiting the team at a sort of a fairly crucial stage um, in that team's development. Once again, it's sort of like being there, being a part of that, experiencing that, and then at the same time, like really not having any tools or knowledge about how to deal with that, right? Like how do we, That's you know, bring the team together? That was like a, I don't want, you know, anybody else to sort of have to go through something like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's almost um, almost like you you didn't study group dynamics. You didn't study team team dynamics. You didn't study leadership you kind of just went and saw life as it is like visceral performance and then kind of backed into, okay, let me study that. Um, That's almost better because you see it play out and you're profound and you're curious. You're like, what the hell is this? Why is this going on? And I love the, the, the comparison you you made between it's like, why does this team work and this one doesn't? So uh, I appreciate everything you shared, Steve, what does leadership mean to you? What does great, great leadership mean to you? What does that look like? Can you share some of your ideas on that?
1: Yes, and and you know, there's the work that I do now in that and helping my clients. But it's you know, t- to your point, it's it's all f- formed and founded in my experiences working on these teams. So to me, when I see a great leader, and I'm working with a great leader, I'm seeing somebody that um, is standing up is pointing to the horizon, is saying, this is where we're going, right? Clearly articulating that vision. This is where we're going. But then having some humility, some humbleness around, I don't know how we're going to get there. Um, But then bringing a team with them, right? To be able to say, we're heading over there. I don't know how we're going to get there. You're going to come with me, right? To be able to inspire a team to be able to rally around and to be able to go there as a group. And I think, you know, sort of as I'm working with my clients, I'm sort of helping them through this um, transition of going from perhaps being an individual to, to a, a cohesive team, um, because oftentimes, you know, I can I can have a client who's a business founder, you know, they built the business up. They've done it all themselves. It all rests on their shoulders, but they're getting to the point where they're tired or they've become the, the bottleneck in the system. And it's, it's fine. It's normal. This thing happens. Yeah. <laughs> being a really great leader is now building a team to go with you, right, so that you're not by yourself. Um, being able to create an opening for others to come step up into so that they can become leaders too and gelling together as a team. So I think there's a lot of different aspects to that, but there's a, there's a visionary aspect, there's a humility aspect, there's an inspiration um, and bringing others with you on the journey.
0: Beautiful, thank you. At this point, we can jump into the book. Steve, why don't you introduce the book, uh, how you came across it and just, yeah, kind of an overview of, of what you find in the book, just the messaging.
1: Yeah. So the book I wanted to talk about is the EOS Life by Gina Wickman. And the reason why I think that this is important and why I want to talk about it is when I start working with my clients and, you know, we are working through the tools of of EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system, you know, I'm helping them get tangible tools in place in the business to help them figure out what their vision is you know get the execution happening in the business and then things start happening right we, we build that foundation we get everybody heading in the same direction and then people start getting a little bit more space they start getting a little bit more clarity and start thinking about deeper things other than just sort of like you know what's in front of me today and so the eos life is What sort of life do you want to live now that your business is starting to run more smoothly? And there's five different components that we look at within this EOS life. The first part is, is are you doing what you love to do? Right, And so the reason why it's important to look at this is... You know, that business owner, that business founder, they've had a passion. Why did you start the business? Like, What's getting you out of bed in the morning to come do this work? There's usually a deep passion and meaning uh, for that business owner. But, you know, just the day-to-day grind of running a business, they can suddenly find that they've, you know, veered off the path maybe. And now they may be doing things that, that they can take a moment, take a breath, they might look at it and say, you know, I don't love doing that. Like, I, here was my passion over here, but I found myself off course and I'm over here now. So, we want to come back to that. Are you doing the things that you love? Right. And then the second part is, um, are you doing it with people that you love? Right. Are you building a really great team? Um, we want to be able to have everybody really be working in an environment where you're, you know, you, you've got that vulnerability-based trust with a group of people that are coming together as a cohesive team. Um, So who's on that team, right? Who's really fitting the culture of your organization? And also, you know, importantly, identifying if there are components of their people that aren't, right? And then we've got to work through that. So those are the first two components, doing what you love with people that you love. The third component is, are you making a dent in the universe? Mm. And so this is really where we're starting to look at what's, you know, the deeper meaning, the deeper purpose uh, behind what you're doing. Um, And I find this to be an interesting, you know, thing to start looking at because I think sometimes in business, you know, we can kind of get fixated on revenue and profit and these sorts of things. But, Oftentimes, when we just set that aside and, and start having a deeper conversation, I really hear about the passion, you know, that people have for businesses, right, and the change they want to make in the world. So, once again, sort of focusing on, are you making a dent in the universe, and are this, th- you know, are you on track for that, or are there some things that have deviated you from that path? Um, and then the fourth component we talk about in the EOS life is, are you getting compensated appropriately, right? That We are talking about a business environment here. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure um, that, you know, if you're doing valuable things in the world, that you are getting compensated uh, in accordance with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that comes up about money, <laughs> right? Right. Money, like conflict, is one of these things that sort of gets baked into us as kids, and we've got all sorts of stories around it as we, as we grow up. And then finally, the fifth component of the EOS life is do you have time for other passions? Oftentimes, I see you know people have just been head down, running like heck, doing everything they can to build a business. Then they sort of wake up, you know, 10 years later, and it's like, where am I? What happened?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Where'd the time go?
1: Where'd the time go? Right. And there's more to life than just, you know, having your identity just being sort of solely uh, associated with the business. It's like, are you, what are your other passions? Right. And um, we want to make sure that that leader is building a leadership team and structuring the business such that everybody has time for other passions, right? For being able to feed their soul, for maintaining their health, uh, maintaining their family relationships. Um, It's an important thing to focus on. So those are the five components that we talk about in the EOS life.
0: No, I love that. I love that only because you don't hear about that kind of focus that often. And I think, uh, I think you've, you've mentioned in an email, or whether, or right before we started recording today, that it's just uh, like appropriate that we talk about this now. Um, I'm curious: did you see an increase, an explosion of any kind, or any kind of uptick in um, clients during the pandemic, as people talked about the Great Resignation and working at jobs or in businesses that they weren't passionate about? um and and the message really getting out there you know what is your thing are you working on your thing what are you waiting for um working for somebody else or in an industry that just doesn't fulfill you did you see any kind of or what kind of shift did you see during the pandemic when it comes to being an eos implementer and practitioner
1: yeah i think you know the reality of during the pandemic a lot of people sort of of hunkered down right and just tried to you know figure out like what do we need to do to keep our business um, surviving right without even sort of really knowing where the end point was going to be i mean it was it was very um disturbing i think to a lot of us right at the time and it's, it's so interesting because i was watching a, a tv series recently that was set back and it was a real a documentary and it was going back to 2020 and i just Seeing people walking around with masks on and, and, you know, like socially distancing and mm. all this stuff now just really, it's only what, three, three years ago, but it just, just seems somewhat bizarre. But <laughs> we yeah, were, it, it
0: seems like it never happened. It's, it's so weird how, uh, here we are going on what, yeah, four years. It'll be four years in March. And it just seems mm. like it's, it's so, it's so distant.
1: Yeah. So it was a very disturbing time, but I think what's come out, you know, like in really what I sort of see is mostly in 2021, right, so just like a year after, okay, we're starting to like be able to deal with this now and and know what it is. Um, This is really where I see businesses um, sort of really wanting to come and address some of these things that I'm talking about in the EOS life, right? And I think the thing that the pandemic has done is it's sort of, it has made a lot of people sort of take a breath and take a step back and think there's more to life than just my nine to five. And I think what I'm seeing is a lot of, um, you know, that fifth component, like having time for other passions, that's come to the forefront. And so, you know, really that business leadership team, in fact, anybody in the business, everybody in the business, really sort of examining, like, what are we doing? Um, How can we restructure things so that we're getting a little bit more balance? And um, also importantly, I think flexibility. I think that's the other thing that's sort of come out. And, you know, sort of related to what, what I'm seeing more now, really, over the last couple of years, is people, human beings, need flexibility, right? We've all got stuff going on, um, and it's still going on. You know, if I've got kids, they're in daycare, while there's a COVID exposure, daycare's closed, right? Well, that's the reality of, of home environment, and then we've got the business, and we still need to keep the business running, uh, we can't, you know, say, "Too bad, so sad." <laughs> right? That's heartless. <laughs> Doesn't work, you know. If you try that, people are going to leave, right? And, and it's hard to hire people. So, I think all of this is being sort of a, a bit of a jigsaw puzzle that you know leadership teams have been trying to figure out. Like, how do we balance the needs of the business humanely with needs of the people working in the business, get it all done.
0: Steve, you mentioned um, taking care of yourself. There's this underlying tone of taking care of yourself, making sure that you are taking care of yourself in your bio. I read everything that you're into the centenarian Olympics that you're looking forward to um, getting to that mile marker. For you, when did that start? Was that always there? You know, the yoga, the meditation, the healthy living, was that always there? Was it a certain point, a certain experience in your life where that began? Uh, Was it when you came across the EOS life where you saw that component of making sure that you're taking care of yourself? When did that start for you?
1: Um, it's been there always. I think you know, as you're talking about, like going back to my childhood. I mean, I know in my teenage years, I was always sort of reading books on Zen and and going to different sort of meditation um, things. So I've, I've always had that sort of curiosity about sort of like what's what's the deeper um, question or foundation about who we're being as, as people. I do sort of feel, though, that, you know, for many years, perhaps, you know, just the busyness of having a family and raising kids and working, and I was traveling a lot, you know, for the yacht design world, um, some of that sort of got put aside just because of the, you know, sheer day-to-day, you know, getting through life. But now, you know, in my role now, in terms of working with teams and with people you know, as I sort of talked about before, it's like, who are we showing up as? Who are we being? And I just have this endless curiosity about that because I see in myself, in the work that I've done, right, that stuff comes into us, stuff happens every single day. And how, how does that land with us, right? As these incoming things, are they things that trigger you? like I, I, It's not always a pleasant thing, but now at least I have a little bit more sort of kind of able uh, ability to step back and sort of say, okay, I'm really triggered right now. Like, hmm, what's that about? Like, where is that coming from? Why is that? Right. And um, to be able to have some tools and techniques for being able to deal with that. So I'd love that in myself. And then as I'm working with my clients, I see that same thing. Right. And when we, we have a team of people that are working together, but, People are people. (laughs) People say stuff. Stuff happens. Stuff doesn't happen. People get triggered. People get upset, you know, and then how does that dynamic work? Um, It can be very difficult for a team to navigate those things, right? And you talk about leadership, right? And I think there's a huge component about successful leaders of knowing thyself, Because as a leader, like a parent, you know, when stuff's happening, you need to keep, you know, you need to keep it together.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I've had clients that were so surprised about how much self-work leadership coaching is. Like my style is just, I mean, a lot of people, Uh, address it that way. But the way I work is just the bulk of it is just the self-work, self-understanding, self-realization, self-actualization, self-reassessment, assessment. Uh, And then what you say, what you see as leadership is just the communication. Yeah, you understand the mission of what you have to get done, the work, but it's just communicating it through your values. So it's just leadership is just communicating, setting the example of that inner work so that's been fascinating to see, fascinating to hear from the guests that I've had on here just about the self. And it's amazing. and I've mentioned this before, how much we spend our lives looking for the answers on the outside, right? We, we study, we get jobs, we're, we're, we're thinking that our thing is out there, what's going to give us value, what's going to give us purpose is out there. And then most of us, it's just kind of like you, you kind of make that U-turn into yourself and you realize that it's been with you the, the entire time. Um, the foundation has been there. The experiences Mm. obviously shape it, but it's just amazing how much it ends up being work on yourself to live that better life, that it's not necessarily things that are out there, but things that are internal to you, whether innate or learned.
1: Well, Gino Wickman himself is sort of on, you know, this is what he's talking about these days. And it's a continuation from the EOS life, which is just, um, you know, he talks about sort of in, in his journey, and I've experienced the same sort of thing of sort of realizing at some stage that, you know, have you really been sort of truly authentic to who you are inside? Sometimes, you know, we've just been running so hard, we've got no idea who we are inside, right? We've been showing up, you know, in our role and work or in our family and things, but not really sort of seeing that. And... You know, to what I was talking about before, sort of the things that we don't deal with, the stuff that gets stuffed down inside, you know, the traumas, the small and large traumas that happen to us. And we, if we don't process through them, that energy gets stuffed down inside and it stays there until one day, ding! Pop boils <laughs> over. It, and then, yeah. And you know, to your point, like, I think, you know, the successful leaders are people who realize like, Hmm, this is the way I'm being right now is unhelpful (laughs) to the team. And it's nobody else's stuff to deal with. It's mine. And I've got to go look inside and deal with that. And And, and that they're, they're not the
0: exception. I think, uh, We just grown up in a society, whether in New Zealand or the U.S., wherever you grew up, where it's kind of like you have to keep this facade of you're in control. And that Mm -hmm. life is life is, you know, uh, it's just going along. You're checking the boxes. Everything looks good. But it's not like that. I mean, life is chaotic. It takes its different toll on different peoples based on what they're doing, what they're experiencing in their life, their households, their economic situation, the areas where they're living, all these different factors. Um, but it's just life. It's crazy how you get to a point where it's like, you know what you're, you spend so much time trying to make it look perfect and maintain this facade by reacting, you know, it's reaction to life where it's not supposed to be perfect. You know, I, I think we're supposed to work through things. We're supposed to, I know for myself during the pandemic, my anxiety kicked up. I'm still, I'm still dealing with it, but I don't see it as. Something hanging around my neck holding me down. It's just a tool that I use now to understand what it is that I need. So, what I'm trying to say is, it's not supposed to be pretty. And I think a lot of that's what gets us in trouble is we think it's supposed to be pretty. And if it doesn't quite feel that way, we think something's wrong instead of kind of learning about ourselves, as you said, and working from there.
1: Yeah. And having, you know, and so the wonderful thing is, I think, really, I see over the last maybe five to 10 years is the, the tools, the things that people are, are pointing out there in the world that really allow us to, to deal with these things. And, you know, I don't know why it's been such an epiphany for me, um, but, you know, this idea that the the mind and body, are you know, separate is, well, I guess that's just the way, like, you know, the, the whole sort of medical system has kind of set up around, well, you, you know, you're sick, you go see a doctor. You're not, you know, if you're not feeling depressed or anxious, you you go see a psychiatrist or, or a therapist, a psychologist, right? And and these things seem to be like separate worlds, but they're not. And so now through, you know, being able to really sort of address this idea of, well, you know, your your diet the things that you're eating affect how you feel inside. Um, being able to to do things like breath work, you know, where you're sort of really clutching in, um, using your diaphragm to you know be able to send signals to your brain about you know how you're doing, and having your brain send signals back down to your heart and and all of that. I mean, I think it's just endlessly fascinating for me and to be able to look at using these tools. So um, to then how do you show up in the workplace? Um, <clears throat> I follow a lot of um, what Andrew Huberman puts out in the world mm-hmm. um, from, from Stanford. You know, he talks about this using the simple tool called a physiological sigh to be able to really like clutch into what's going on with your nervous system. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all if you come up on the podcast.
0: No, I know Huberman, but what is what is in that technique that he's talking about, what does that look like? What What is it actually?
1: Oh, it's, it's amazing. So um, if you've ever seen um, like, you know, a, a dog when it's kind of like settling in for, for the night and it sort of like circles around his bed and then lies down and then it kind of does this <sighs> thing like that, right? Or, um, you know, with kids, when kids stop crying, or actually, in- any. <laughs> anybody stops crying when you've been through some emotional thing. You're kind of like, yeah. right? So it's, it's a hardwired physiological system mm-hmm. we have when we inflate our lungs once and then you, you do another top up and then a release. There's a system that gets um, operated inside of our, our brain and body that just brings this deep calm. And, and, and so he talks about this. Like so, you can. The thing that I love about it is that you you can be at work, you can be walking down, you know, a hallway, and something's just gone in one meeting, or you're anxious about going into. You know, you got to go and meet with the boss to talk about you know, the monthly report or whatever, and you're feeling all this anxiety. As you're walking, you can just. Yeah. And and there's a hardwired system that gets operated in you that brings your anxiety down. I yeah, just marvelous.
0: Yeah, it makes complete sense. Just because I, me, I, I'm I'm a bad breather. Like I realize every so often, I haven't breathed. I haven't taken a real breath. Like I've I've I just I'm very tense. I hold things in, even my breath. I don't know how I'm sitting here because I'm not regularly breathing. So every once in a while, I'm like, okay, and I have to um, intentionally stop and really take the breath in and and push it out. And it's amazing how you feel. And I'm not even talking about sitting down for an exercise, much like you said, I'm just talking about a simple breath. Uh, But it makes sense. It makes sense if you think about our primitive selves and what we had to go through and how we were always on the run or always busy or always just on to the next thing where now it's very sedentary. Now it's very safe. So we're not using that, that, I don't know, that part of our nervous system. So if it sits there stagnant, it just kind of collects for me this energy that I'm not using. So something like that is kind of like a trigger to wake it up or a good workout when you're out of breath. It's it's fascinating. And, and I'm glad that I found this kind of stuff that you're talking about now later later in life, I guess, right? Because yeah. yeah. um, I've never been the healthiest of people. So I'm glad that I'm finding it now and I'm kind of getting in tune with my body and I'm eating better and I'm working out more regularly and I'm paying attention to the, to the breathing. I'm paying attention to the anxiety. For me, it's just anxiety is just this energy that dwells. And I need to get rid of it somehow. So it has to be physically or do I need to do something emotional or do I need to do something intellectually? Do I have to do something relationally? Um, it's just fascinating. It, and it plays into that living your life in a certain way and circling back to what it is you are, what it is you need and what what you need to get out of yourself, actually.
1: yeah. And I wish, you know, I wish we'd had these tools. I wish I'd had these tools 30 years ago. Right. <laughs> Sure.
0: yeah, but if you had it thirty years ago, you may not be the person that you are today.
1: Well, this is very true, right? I mean, because I've been driven by this passion through my whole life of just like, oh my gosh, here's another thing. and you know, here's something I, I need to deal with. And you know, I'm a coach, right? I am a business coach, but I go get coaching for myself, right? And coaching for myself has been transformational, helping me like really identify, you know, where I'm trying to get to, where I am now, what are the things that are getting in my way, not just on a, you know, transactional basis, but on like, a as I talked about before, like who am I being, who am I showing up in the world, right? And um, so it's just, I, I love the journey, right, that that has taken me on, like opening these these doors, like here's another door, like let's go in there and let's see what's there. Steve, what is Wickman's background? Well, he, um, you know, he's a Gino's a very interesting guy. He, um, you know, he's always been sort of very um, motivated and oriented towards business, right? And so he joined his his dad in his dad's business when he was about twenty five years old, and that business wasn't doing very well. So he just sort of innately ended up taken over the business, and they executed a turnaround on it, scaled it up, and and ended up selling it. And Gina's sort of one of these people as well who's been a lifelong learner and has been always sort of bringing in um, material. His genius is is the ability to sort of synthesize things together and simplify them, Um, and, you know, in developing EOS that was... um, you know, a a tremendous amount of work that he did sort of looking at lots of different components about how do we work with teams? How do we get vision? You know, how do we get a group of people to establish their vision? How do we get them working together? And he put it all together into this holistic framework that supports. Um, So just an innate business developer, curious guy, (laughs) synthesizer and simplifier.
0: And I've been meaning to ask, but did not want to interrupt too much. I know I usually do, but have you written anything yourself? Do you plan on writing something? It'd be fascinating to to read something about your transition from like the engineering mind still maintaining it into that. um, I don't know that 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 comparison between the technical of the engineering and whether it's the heart, the mind, whatever it may be. Or the yachting world, and and how you've transitioned through that life, is there anything that you've you've put out? Is there anything that you want to put out, collect, or write?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really great question, John. I, I think about this at times, um, but I feel like I am still such a work in progress. That I, don't, <laughs> I don't know when, like I'm not fully baked yet. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, I get that. I get that completely. Yeah.
1: So, um, I'm not sure. I mean, at some stage, yeah, I want to sort of pull all this together. But um, uh, another I think guy, that'd be uh,
0: fascinating just because engineering has a reputation, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's the numbers, it's the technical. And then you said yourself, like feelings, what are feelings? Like what are the these human aspects? So engineering has that reputation, but it'd be fascinating to see, to read about and, and kind of trace your journey from the technical to that understanding while maintaining that technical and and that those sides can coexist. So if you decide to put out a book, I'll, I'll buy the first copy, my friend.
1: Awesome, well, thank you so much. No, that's that's good food for thought. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, yeah.
0: Steve, when it comes to this book then and starting to wrap up in a few sentences, you have given a great breakdown, in a few sentences to convey the urgency of the lessons a few sentences, what would you share? How would you share it to somebody that's not sure how this may apply to them or um, just to kind of get them to take in the lessons of this book? How would you share that with somebody?
1: Yeah. So what I see in, in you know, working with my clients is, is this transformational journey. Like, like there is hope, right? And the hope is you don't have to be stuck in the business you know, working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, there is something more, right? And that something more is those components of the EOS life, right? Really figuring out, like, are you doing what you love to do, right? There is hope that you can get to that point. And, you know, doing it with people that you love, doing something purposeful, getting compensated, but then, Last point is making sure that you have time for other passions. And, you know, I, my belief is we only have one shot at this thing we call our lives, right? And who are we showing up as and, and getting engaged in those things? And um, what's that? There's a saying that um, no one's epitaph, you know, would, would ever say I wish I'd spent more time at the office.
0: <laughs> True.
1: Right? People towards the end of their life are usually, I think, saying more things like, I wish I'd spent more time with the family, I wish I'd done, you know, traveled more, those sorts of things. The point of all of what I'm saying is that don't wait. You know, you can do those things now. And the hope and, and what I'm talking about with these systems with EOS is there are tangible, implementable. Executable ways that we can come in and get a, a, a leadership team in a business heading in the right direction.
0: And Steve, to that point, I forgot to ask how how is the book structured? Um, are like in a chapter? Is it stories? Is it examples? Is it research? Is it does it have? Does it post questions? Uh, does it provide coaching exercising or coaching questions? Just briefly, just what does your typical chapter look like?
1: Yeah, so it, a, a lot of what you're talking about there, um, you know, it's really is about sort of painting a picture for what it looks like and, and you know, telling it through stories and examples, um, but then also, you know, giving some, you know, some tangible thought and, and prompts to help, you know, the, the person reading the book to really kind of like look at what's going on in their life and ended up, you know, end up figuring out like where are you? You know, on a scale of one to five, like are you a five with doing, you know, five out of five doing things that you love? Or are you at a two out of five and therefore what's what's sort of getting in the way?
0: Awesome. Yeah. Now Steve in, in wrapping up, um Please share anything that you're up to these days. Is if there's something that I might have missed, should have asked, anything that you want to share with this audience, please go right ahead.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for for the opportunity. I, I, I just love having our conversation. I am passionate about helping business owners and leadership teams build better businesses, right? Because I see the business businesses are the lifeblood of this country. When you have successful businesses, they create successful successful communities. They allow people to have jobs, buy houses, they can raise their families, right, and it makes a, a um, upwards you know spiral. So, you know, in combining all of that, you know, my passion is really around. Okay, then, who are we? You know, showing up as as having a fulfilled life, right, and. I just um, through opportunities to to talk with with you right and to do these, I just want to get the word out that we can do something about this. <laughs> there is hope. <laughs> so yeah I, I this opportunity.
0: yeah, and that there is deep work, but I'm assuming there are so many things that you could just little small incremental steps that people can take, you know that it, that it may have major ripple effects, major dividends at the end of the work or throughout the work but it's probably just minor steps, incremental. It doesn't have to be earth shattering, um, land shifting changes at once that it could be those small steps, right?
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, absolutely, it's uh, an amazing thing. Like one one short, you know, small tool that we uh, teach a leadership team at the beginning is have a weekly meeting together. Start at the same day, you know, same day of the week, same time, start on time, end on time, follow an agenda. We've got a specific agenda for that. But just to sort of paint a a very uh, small vignette of that, I find with my clients is life-changing because it creates this environment where the communication starts happening and we start dealing with the issues that are going on in the business. So to your point, it's a small thing, but it has a huge leverage on getting that team to work together.
0: And I meant to ask, Steve. there, is there a certain component to the book that stands out the most as most impactful or most um, like an aha moment for your clients? The 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 one where you see the most change. Have you seen that in your in your time working with EOS? That one particular area that's the part that's always like ground shaking to them or ground changing.
1: Well, yes. And so, this, you know, the second component I've talked about in the EOS life is is doing the work that you love, right, with people that you love. And, you know, to tie this all the way back to the beginning of our conversation, right, how do we get that really great cohesive team together to take uh, the business forward? Um, you know, I think uh, so Patrick Lencioni is an author who um, talks a lot about business and in one of his books the five dysfunctions of a team he begins that book by saying it's you know it's not technology i forget the exact quote but ultimately it's teamwork right that is the the secret sauce the magic if you have that you can go to the moon so um, you know what i'm really sort of What I see working with my clients, right, is is really like getting down to that. Do we have the right people on the team? And and when we can get that, I, I see that that's that's the leverage point that allows the team to then gel together and really you know excel in where they're taking the business.
0: Beautiful. Thank you, Steve. And the book that we covered with Steve today is The EOS Life, How to Live Your Ideal Entrepreneurial Life by Gino Wickman. Steve, thank you for your time sitting down for this conversation. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, Thank you, John. Thank you very much for having me here and allowing me to talk about these things that I just love talking about.
0: Absolutely. And again, when you put out your book, open invite to come back. Open invite.
1: (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate
0: it. If there's anything that I might have missed in talking to Steve, obviously limited on time. I, You know me. I can go down rabbit holes and ask questions and ask questions. But if there's anything that popped up that I should have asked, that you think I should have asked, please reach out. Let me know. I'll reach out to Steve, see what kind of feedback, insights, guidance, anything at all I might be able to get from him that he may share with me. Uh, and I'll do that. Uh, in the meantime, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.